I'm not gonna say it Somebody should Let's talk about two time Let's talk about bum one, yeah Asking the questions That nobody could Like where are the bone dogs and Are they in harmony? Well, hey everybody, welcome to a show. I do the show, I'm Pete. Today we have we have a topic, um, which we don't always have, um, you know, so it's a, it's a pretty special, it's a magical day, as Neil Breen's Fateful Findings would put it. Um, we're going to talk about role-playing games, and there's a reason for it, so friend of the show, and friend of me in the sense that being a brother is kind of being a friend. Uh, Ian has uh, written a new 100-page setting source book for Stillfleet, featuring new classes, species, advanced powers, and a full-length venture. Um, now, I don't really know what any of that means. I'm not, I'm not the biggest RPG person. So I'm doing my best here to uh, promote this. And I was like, how am I going to talk about this? Because I don't really know anything about this stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, well, shit. What, do, what, what does a Pete say about this sort of thing? You know what I mean? What can he say? But um, here's the deal. It's on, it's on Kickstarter. If you look up Kadida, Q-A-D-I-D-A, it'll probably come right up um and uh they've they've made their goal and they're trying to hit their stretch goal there's about an, a week left so if you if you have it in your heart by which i mean heart-shaped wallet if you have it within one of these structures to donate to that um and or if it's something that you're interested in hold on if it's something that you're just interested in because you're that specific type of chinerd, I say go for it. I mean, I'm not I'm not here okay, I'm not here to make fun of tabletop RPGs today. It's just never been something that I've been into. You know, I would say this this started for me back in the you know, Dungeons and Dragons was not really something I did. Um I think the thing for tabletop RPGs that always makes them difficult is it's like you have to have a weird combination of you have to be kind of a nerd outcast. Well, back in the day, I, it doesn't seem this way anymore as much. But back in the day, you had to be sort of a nerd outcast. And also there had to be like half a dozen other nerd outcasts with who also were willing to play. You know, it's um, it's like you're watching you're watching Stranger Things, right? And they're playing Dungeons and Dragons and shit. And it's like, well, yeah, because they're all they're all nerds. They're all nerds together. And then as the seasons go on, you know, their group kind of starts to fall apart because some of them are less nerds than they once were. And I think that's kind of the natural life cycle of that kind of thing. Um, and it just sort of happens that way. But anyway, for me, it started with probably Magic the Gathering, which is like a card game 
I don't even really know what you do. One time, uh, my brother tried to teach me to play, and uh, it went horribly. And then we did an episode one time where he was kind of teaching me how to play. I think that was magic, and I was still like, no, this is not for me. <laughs> I just, I, I don't... RPGs to me always feel like the the thing about them for me is that it's like you got if you're the kind of person who opens up a board game and the first thing you do is like look on the inside of the box at the rules and you're like I can absorb all these rules just by reading them and like it's almost like speaking a language where you can read the game rules and then understand the game and you're like I kind of understand how this is played now I understand strategy now. And that's never been my personality. Like, I... Um, playing games like that makes me feel dumb. Because I cannot understand how a game works by reading the rules. I kind of have to play it a few times. You know, this is, I think, why a lot of video games work better for me. Because it's like, well, video games that are designed well kind of use the game environment to explain how the game is played. And if there's anything that's like really obtuse, they kind of uh, show you how that works in a sort of tutorial or something. But you know, so then like I have the basics and then the difficulty ramps up as you go. So it's like, okay, I'm going to teach you a new skill. I've been playing a lot of Mario. Over on YouTube, I've got Mario before 40. I'm trying to play as many Mario games all the way through as I can before my 40th birthday. And, um, like, a, a good Mario game, what it'll do is, like, let's say it's trying to teach you how to wall jump. It'll have you come to a place where you wall jump, but the first time you do it, there's a floor below you. You know, you don't fall into a pit. There's not, like, a scrolling screen that's going to smash you. There's not a bad guy that you have to avoid. It's just kind of like, here's a shaft up which you need to wall jump. And then it teaches you how to do that, and then you're like, okay. And once you can, once you pass that, it's like, all right, the game can assume that you at least have a minimal concept of wall jumping. So then it, you know, it takes it up a notch, right? It's like, all right, well, now that you know how to wall jump, I'm going to add an obstacle or I'm going to add a spike or something. And, you know, it just kind of keeps going that way until eventually, uh, eventually you do the hardest kind of thing. But it's taken you step by step through it. And it's taught you how to do it. It's taught you how to do it basically. It's taught you like the sort of trickiness of it and so on. And I never felt like that with games like Magic the Gathering. I never felt like there was any... There wasn't enough structure in it to teach someone like me how to play it. I think another thing is like... My understanding of role-playing games is... Typically the way it starts is you do things like make a character... So you have to like come up with backstory and you like roll dice to figure out how good is your character at this and that and so on. And I think that for me, that feels like front loading a game with the most boring part of the game. You know what I mean? Because um, that for me, that's not exciting. Now, I know for other people, this is it's great. And that's like what they love. So, you know. I understand. I also tried to play like a Marvel card game because I was like, well, this is like Magic the Gathering, but with characters that I am interested in. So I guess that's way better. But uh, I just I couldn't understand it. 
Like, I couldn't even really understand how it worked on a basic level, let alone strategy. And this is the other problem, is when you play with somebody, you know, and you don't really know how the game works, every single thing they do is like a a record scratch moment for me where I'm like, wait a minute, so you can do that? So this whole time you've been able to do that. If I'd known that, I would have done things totally differently. You know what I mean? You're just like, I don't know. Video games are kind of the same way. There's a game called Fallout, Fallout 3 maybe, that I tried, which is, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's so great. But at the beginning of the game, you have to do this shit like, uh, oh, do you want to be really good at lock picking? Or would it be better to be good at, I don't know, food eating or something, you know? It's like there's like 20 things and you can pick and kind of like put different levels of skill into different things. And I'm just looking at this like, I don't fucking know. How? I have no idea. Because I'm like, well, if it was the re- if it's the world I live in, then I understand. Right? Because I'm like, well, probably putting a ton into lockpicking is not going to be that useful. I would think in a post-apocalyptic environment, lockpicking would not be as useful as just smashing down doors 90% of the time. Right? Like, how many super difficult to open doors am I going to encounter? But in this world, I don't know. I have no idea if it's like, well, this is basically going to be one long corridor of doors that you cannot open other than lockpicking. Because the game makes the rules. Um, And, you know, it's like, I don't know, maybe it would let me enter through the window if I take uh, sneaking as my thing. Whatever. So those are kind of the reasons that tabletop role-playing games, but also role-playing video games are usually not my thing. There's a loud, loud cars going by. Um, But uh, that said, you know, I put money into this and uh, encourage you to as well because, you know, he's my brother. And um, it'll be interesting, I think, to at least look at and read the book that he did. I'm curious to see, like, if I can make any heads or tails of it, but we'll find out. So anyway, I was like, how can I talk about this, but, you know, like, also not talk about it? Because I don't, I just don't understand it very much. Um, <clears throat> so what I decided to do was look at some other role-playing games and kind of just looking at unusual role-playing games. Now, if you're, like, a big role-playing game person um you'll just have to excuse me because there are probably some times where i'm going to speak ignorantly about these games and um i am gonna make fun of some of them in some ways and so on and uh just i don't know fucking deal with it have a sense of humor about it i guess you know give me a a bad review of one of my books that's fine so this first one is called phoenix command and right now i'm on rpg net by the way Looking up, like, tabletop role-playing games, it's like traveling into the distant past of the internet. I'm on, like, a very forum-looking website. Uh, RPG Net, by the way, is uh, has their logo is, like, the uh, pride-slash-trans flag. It's got all the colors. It's got the Roy G. Biv plus the white, pink, blue plus the brown and black. It's got it all. 
I don't I don't know if they were doing it for Pride Month. It's July. But uh, maybe it's like that all the time. I I have no idea. But it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird to me that they would change that because the rest of this looks interesting. And this post is from 2010, by the way. That's how far back this shit goes. Okay, so this is someone saying, I recently bought the books for, what is it called? Phoenix Command. And I must say, this game is awesome. It's quite realistic, if a bit more complex than average. For example, let's say I have an MP5 submachine gun. Let's say I'm an average soldier. My target is average too, that means 10 for his stats. He's wearing standard body armor, the range is 30 yards. He appears moving at a rate of 4 yards a second, running with no cover for simplicity. He's firing from a standing position from a proper firing stance. Let's say it's midday for simplicity. I aim for two seconds and fire a burst of seven rounds. I'll not use time of flight of the bullet because I haven't learned how yet. And scrap that body armor too. That's too complex for here. <laughs> Already it's like, you know what? Never mind. Forget the body armor. I like how this is written too because it's like, okay, he's got body armor. Two lines later. Okay, forget the body armor. I'm like, this isn't didn't like type out as you did it right and post as you typed you could just go back and delete it here's the process add up aim modifiers aim time 2 range 9 target size 14 shooter motion 0 effective accuracy equals 25 now i look up 25 on a table my odds of putting the burst in the correct location are at 97 percent i roll a 37 the burst is at the correct elevation so i look up my minimum arc it is 0.7, so the burst has spread over 1.4 yards. My rate of fire is 7, so I look up on another table the chance of hitting an ROF of 7 and an MA of 0.7. The full page table says I hit with one round. Now roll for the hit location. I roll a 292 and look... I roll a 292? What the fuck? And look up on the side hit table. I hit him in the side, and the bullet passes through the man's liver and stomach. Now I look up one of the 64 plus damage tables. Yes, there's a specific table for a side hit to the hip socket and find the one for a side hit to the stomach slash liver. It turns out to be table S15 and I look up my weapons damage and penetration for the specific range. The table is a 10 by 26 table. That's right, 260 numbers only for this specific angle and location. My weapons damage at 30 yards is 3, and its penetration is 2.3. This is for FMJ ammo, whatever the fuck that means. My weapon does 1,200 physical damage according to the table. The man fails his knockout roll with only a 2% chance of remaining in the fight. He receives no medical aid and dies after 2 minutes and 58 seconds. This is an example for you, and has accounted for 0.5 seconds of gameplay. And remember, I don't have the expansion. These aren't the advanced rules apart from automatic fire and wounding. The hand-to-hand -hand combat is much more involved. <laughs> I mean, this is fucking crazy. So, like, that's how much stuff goes into, like, what, you know, I shot at something and did it work. And then somebody posted, like, a collage of the tables and stuff from this game. And it just looks crazy. It looks like some kind of weird rubric that's like, how do you get into college or something? And it's a collage of them with the, uh, the what's that guy, Edward Munch, the scream over top of it. Like, oh my God, this is <laughs> way too much. 
I mean, it's it's kind of fun in a way because I'm like, I like to hear, I like to hear that people are this into you know something like that. Uh, somebody says, "Wow, I'd heard Phoenix Command was detailed, but I had no idea." While a combat simulator is not the sort of gaming I'm normally looking for, the system's design aspect of coming up with that combat simu simulator is very interesting to me. So impressive that if the Second Amendment is ever revoked in the U.S., copies of Phoenix Command are likely to be confiscated. Really? Really? Um, you know. Boy, that sure seems like, uh... Seems like somebody really turned it into something here and then it also gets into some people are like mm, you know so i find some of the stats in phoenix command are probably bullshit because like check this out you know <laughs> like <laughs> a 45 would actually be more like this um <laughs> but anyway that's that's an example okay if that seemed like a lot to you that's what most average board and card games feel like to me unless it's like stack these things up in a physical tower and you know don't wake daddy i i feel lost almost immediately so i feel like phoenix command would be a good game for me to give other people and when they try to play it and whatever and they're like this is so fucking complicated i'd be like now you know how i feel now you know how i feel all right, there's another one called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, which is obviously about TMNT. Uh, for the characters, turtles and rats were not the only option for mutated animals. A rather large list was made available of animals that could be mutated in a wide variety of ways. Intelligence, human looks, functioning hands, bipedalism, bipedalism, etc., uh, some animals allowed access to different varieties, most notably dog breeds, and rules allowed for the creation of new animals. <laughs> Characters had access to psionic powers and could come from a wide variety of sources, i.e. natural mutation or man-made experiments, as well as a variety of educational backgrounds. <laughs> Does this mean, like, I could be a former do bomb-sniffing dog? And it's like, well, I've got a... Uh, Thorough education in bomb sniffing as a dog. Um, the mutant animal player characters in the game lived in a modern world, functioning on the fringes of human society. One of the more innovative details was the alignment system, which used qualitative terms like principled and miscreant, along with a list of diagnostic behaviors such as would kill an innocent bystander or would never accept stolen properly. These hypothetical behaviors pegged a character as fitting one of the particular alignment terms. <laughs> it took place in the uh, basically Ninja Turtle world, blah, blah, blah. This was the uh, interesting part, I think. The original edition uh, was published with a section detailing a comprehensive list of mental illnesses ostensibly drawn from the DSM. Players could either select a form of insanity as an optional step in character crea creation or randomly assign one during the course of gameplay as a result of their characters undergoing some kind of trauma, such as demonic possession, near-death experience, or torture. <laughs> what I like about this is it's like, you know, demonic possession, and you're like, eh, okay. Or, you know, just like trauma. 
uh, near-death experience, torture. I'm like, mm, okay. Less fun. Decidedly less fun. It's like, yeah, I've got some PTSD. Oh, from what? I was possessed by a demon? Yeah, all right, that's fair. <laughs> um, let's see. This section also featured an extensive list of sexual deviations, which included pedophilia and homosexuality. In terms of the game, a traumatic event could potentially induce a character to convert from one sexual orientation to another, despite the latter having been officially declassified as a mental illness more than a decade before. Oh my goodness. After parents of younger players objected to the list of sexual deviations, which had previously appeared in the Palladium role-playing game, Palladium Books covered it with a plain white sticker. <laughs> Subsequent printings removed the list of mental illnesses entirely, although occasional references to it remained elsewhere in the book. It seems like a weird system. It's like you can make a whole game with this mental illness system, and then they're like, well, I guess let's throw a sticker in there. Covered up. Whenever I read stories like this, I, I can't help but think of, like, I wonder who was, like, sitting there with a stack of books and, uh, you know, basically uh, covering up a bunch of shit with stickers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> who, who was forced to do that? I have to wonder. <clears throat> so there you go. Uh, that was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which, you know, had sexual deviations including, I guess, back in the day when it's like uh, being gay was a sexual deviation in the DSM. And then it wasn't, but then maybe it was. Seems pretty likely to me that, uh, you know, if you were looking at a not up-to-date DSM, it probably would be in there, right? I don't know. All right, let's move on to another property, the Adventures of Indiana Jones role-playing game. So this is from an article on Gizmodo. Gizmodo. Um, which is popping up stuff. Okay. Most of the notorious games that we're profiling are created by small presses or individuals, but that's not the case with Indiana Jones, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is uh, the rare notorious game produced by the biggest company in the industry, TSR. It's partly notorious for being terrible, a game with poorly designed rules and such a narrow focus, it was nearly unplayable. But that notoriety has lived on in a strange form. Um, Gen Con attendees may be familiar with the annual Diana Jones Award for Excellence in Gaming. For years, I'd assume Miss Jones was some beloved designer from the early years of the RPG industry tragically lost to us. When TSR lost the Indiana Jones license in the 80s, all unsold copies of the games had to be burned. Employees at the UK office rescued the last, partially burned copy, and for some reason encased it in a pyramid of purse specs, along with a few other items from the game. This feels like a particularly British response to the situation. That, I, I guess. Perspex, you know those Brits in their perspex pyramids. <laughs> um, the pyramid bounced from owner to owner for years, until 2001 when it was decided that it would make a suitable trophy for someone or thing who's done great work within the gaming industry. The punchline to this story, of course, is that the only legible part of the title on the partly incinerated game is Diana Jones. I see the I-N of Indiana Jones got uh, taken off. Um, weird. Just weird that... I don't understand. 
you made this thing when you had the rights to it, but then they're like, you don't have the rights anymore. So they're like, ah, fuck it. I guess we have to burn all the other copies. That makes no sense. Alright, here's the next one. Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Now that may sound familiar to you. I feel like if you've ever uh, perused like a used movie place, you've seen Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, which has a picture of Forrest Whitaker uh, like in a hoodie or something looking at you. It's it's got to be one of the more boring poster slash DVD cases ever. It's very blue looking, um, and this is a movie that I guess they decided to make a role playing game out of, which seems incredibly weird, just because this isn't a movie. It doesn't seem like a movie that um, you know, I I guess it must have been fairly popular. I mean, it's, okay, directed by Jim Jarmusch. It stars Forrest Whitaker. And then a bunch of people I don't know. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is Ghost Dog, by the way. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it, it looks like it was, you know, fine. Looks like it did pretty good. Roger Ebert was into it. Um... So maybe it's a good movie. Maybe I should watch Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai. But like what a weird property to make a role playing game out. Like I could see. I'm sure there are many role playing games. I know there are ones based on like aliens, right? Stuff like that. Because you're like, all right, that makes sense. Or I could totally see it for, I don't know, Armageddon. You know, like a huge movie. And the reason I can see it is because I'm like, I mean, they just had everything. Anything that could exist, they made an Armageddon version of that thing, right? Like, that's kind of how it works. But Ghost Dog doesn't seem like the way... Doesn't seem... The way. Doesn't seem like the way of the samurai. Doesn't seem like something there'd be merch for. I'm going to just look up Ghost Dog movie on on eBay. Uh, well, there's vinyl for the music from it, apparently. Yeah, okay, it's like on a triple feature, you know, with Belly and Paid in Full is Ghost Dog. There was a, oh, the RZA did the soundtrack. Well, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai Limited Edition Movie Art Print from Mondo, which is weird looking. Uh, print advertisement. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's not like a bunch of stuff. Doesn't seem like there's a like you know a shitload of action figures or something. It seems like it's just like yeah, it's a fucking movie and that's about it. But uh, th it's actually like well, it's a movie and a, <laughs> a role playing game because why the fuck not? Seems like the the crossover audience is there. Maybe that's what's weird about it too. Like some of the ones they might make you know like aliens and stuff right i'm like yeah nerds love that stuff so that makes sense but you know if they made something like armageddon i guess they'd be like meh i don't know if nerds are going to be super into this and also i don't think people are going to be into armageddon and therefore be like yes i want to play this tabletop rpg you know wouldn't they just be like let's just make like a fucking a regular board game or something right 
All right, the next one is one called, I think, Continuum. It's stylized. The title is stylized as C and then the degree symbol, Continuum, with two U's. Um, and it's mostly, I like this one because it's fucking amazing as a website. Um, I, I don't even know if I have much to say about it other than like, the website, it's got a purple background. Um, it's kind of hard to read the text. It's a little bit, it's got this teeny tiny menu off to the left side that I don't even really understand. Um, <laughs> it's got a bunch of links that go to things that don't exist anymore. Um, but players take on the roles of common folk throughout history who have been invited to become another order of being, people who can travel through time at will. Now, I think I looked at the Wikipedia here because I was like trying to figure this out. Okay, so this is about time travel. So here's setting. It just launches right into it. Unlike other time travel games and fiction, which usually depict time travelers as either lone explorers or as an all-powerful time police, Continuum assumes that time travelers would eventually evolve their own society with its own laws, rules, slang, groups, art movements, and the like. Time travel would color such a civilization in the same way that any other major technology has changed the human race. Continuum states that the core question of the game is, if you could learn to span time at will, what form of civilization would you be entering? Um, okay, here was the interesting part, I guess. There are time criminals, by the way, called narcissists because they seek to remake history in their own image. Dun, dun, dun. And the continuum has members trained to repair damage caused to the course of history by the, the narcissists. The game's solution to the issue of time travel paradox is the concept of frag. The universe does not tolerate paradox caused by time travelers, nor are parallel worlds created by paradox. Instead, the universe begins to erase those for whom the paradox exists. The frag concept appears to be based partly on the idea that blah blah blah. Too much association with paradoxes, too much frag, and the time travelers become something not quite real anymore. Frag can also be generated on purpose, a tactic in time combat. The Continuum Society is partially built upon the repair of paradoxes that affect its members. To explain Frag by example, using the Grandfather Paradox, now let's see, the Grandfather Paradox is, um, you could go back in time and kill your own grandfather, what would happen? Um, a narcissist might decide to travel back in time and kill his grandfather. If he succeeded, he would return to his own time to find his grandfather alive. The Continuum would step in and repair the murder. The narcissist would then begin to fade out of existence due to the conflict between his own memories and actual history, and he has been fragged. <laughs> it's like so, uh, so complicated. So complicated. Like, we're going to come up with our own time travel setup. Which, I mean, is, is fine. Um, but weird, right? It's really weird. I don't know. I'm I'm not I, I just heard someone the other day on a podcast or something was talking about like, oh, I love time travel stories. And I was like, are you crazy? They're the worst because they all kind of just work the same way, in my opinion. They're either like, well, the time travel doesn't actually do anything to our main characters or 
it completely changes everything for our main characters. But um, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. All right, Dallas, the role-playing game. This is based on the TV show, Dallas. Um, this is my favorite part. The game was an attempt by debt-ridden SPI, that was the company, uh, to find a new audience, but the game did not sell well and also alienated their war game clientele. <laughs> I, this, is, this is like almost exactly what we were just talking about, right? It was like, uh, you know, Armageddon wouldn't work because it's like, well, nerds who love this stuff aren't really going to be into Armageddon and uh, Armageddon people aren't really going to be into this. The Dallas seems like a way worse example, right? It's like if you did Three's Company, the uh, the game, the the role playing game, and it's like, even if it's good, even if it works, you know, people who are into Dungeons and Dragons are going to be like, this is fucking boring. And people who are into Dallas are going to be like, I'm not doing that nerd shit. What are you, crazy? Like, that's never, no, absolutely not. Um, despite the popularity of the television show, the game proved to be an infamous failure. And art director later remarked that the 80,000 copies printed was about 79,999 more than anybody ever wanted. Um... Lawrence Schick, in his 1991 book, Heroic Worlds, A History and Guide to Role-Playing Games, noted that not only did SPI not develop a new audience of gamers with Dallas, but the game also alienated SPI's traditional wargaming clientele. As much a card game as a role-playing game, it was widely loathed by SPI's devoted following of wargamers. It does seem like uh, these uh, games are very warlike. So, you know, maybe, maybe some people should, maybe you guys need to calm down. All right, here's another RPG net page, which now there is no, uh, there's no fucking, uh, rainbow. What's happening? How does this work? Is it because I'm on an archive page? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, this is one called Low Life, The Rise of the Lowly. <laughs> Uh, here's the description. The human body, as a byproduct of the process of digestion, produces a semi-solid substance commonly known as poop. Well, there you go. When it comes to the discussion of poop, people tend to fall into three general categories. Uh, one, listeners of Helpful Storian. Uh, those who, for one reason or another, find poop to be objectionable those who find poop to be generally uninteresting, and those who find poop, to one degree or another, funny. Or as we call them, people who are correct. Uh, if you find mention or discussion of poop to be objectionable, for whatever reason, stop reading now. The game product about to be reviewed is not for you, and you might as well spend the next two minutes of your life more profitably. If you find poop to be funny, check. It is likely that you already own the product to be reviewed. If you don't, stop reading this review right now and go buy a copy. You will not be disappointed. Um, Low Life is a 144-page hardback setting and campaign book written by Andy Hopp and produced by Great White Games and Studio 2 Publishing for the Savage World System. Many very nice reviews have been written about the original edition, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Explorer's edition, mechanics of Savage Worlds. No one cares. Uh, in addition to writing Low Life, Mr. Hop also illustrated it lavishly, very lavishly. 
In fact, low life is illustrated to an almost unheard of level by industry standards. Mr. Hop's art adorns or infests, depending on your aesthetic preferences, almost every page. There are only 15 pages in the entire book that contain no artwork, and not a single two-page spread is lacking in illustration. Mr. Hop's vision of the setting leaps out from every page. One has only to peruse the art to gain a vivid picture of the world. Like most writers in the business who know their stuff, Mr. Hop divided his product into pages. Blah, blah, blah. Where do we get to the poop part? Um, okay. Character creation. Uh, you can be a bottle. Being of dubious lineage, bottles are the horribly mutated descendants of the long-lost human race. Take every bad mutant movie mutation you've ever seen or imagined, put them in a blender, frappe them, and you have a bottle. Bodul. Uh, creamphilian. The heavily contaminated and irradiated remains of snack cakes, which have gained sentience over the millennia. Croach, evolved cockroaches. Uh, hork, descendants of a barbarous denizens of Middle Oith, who arrived via a dimensional rift. Ufo, remnants of alien invaders and tourists. Pile, magically animated piles of contaminated goo. Smelf, uh, another race that arrived via dimensional rift. They have huge noses. Tisn't, uh, the evolved remains of animal life. Worm, um, which are various worms. <laughs> um, the craptastic world of Mother Oith is a 16-page description of interesting locales uh, with attractions as the incredibly huge monster, the corpse of a creature so large that its ears are mined for wax, the moonular cheese fields, um, and the one place with all the sand which is a vast wasteland, the world's biggest litter box. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, uh, this is a lot about poop. And then one of the sections of this review, by the way, is it's solid. <laughs> I don't know. It, sometimes it seems like people are really just screwing around, doesn't it? Like, they're just... Uh, they're like, what would be a weird thing to do? Well, this is the last one that I found, which is called Fatal, from Another Time, Another Land, which I guess has become somewhat notorious um, for its, like, oh, horrifying content, I suppose. Sexual content seems to be a problem. Um, it seems like, okay, I was trying to kind of, like, skim through this, and it seemed like uh, pretty, uh, well, here... Let's do this. Warning system. Warning! Fatal is for adults only. This is not for children. Due to content that is obscene, lecherous, and violent. The game includes obscene language. Fatal gamers consider obscenity to be a sensitive issue and only includes it because of its prominence in the past as a significant part of human history. Most of the rules of the game avoid obscenity. For example, it is possible to determine a character's manhood not cock or vaginal depth, not cunt depth. <laughs> However, the greatest concentration of obscenity is in Appendix 3, random magical effects, and is intended for humorous effect. So this is a thing in this, is you, you do things like, um, not only do you create a character, but um, you, you actually, like, <laughs> determine things down to the... Uh, the level of, you know, 
Uh, how how wide is your penis? How deep is your vagina? Um, stuff like that, which I guess actually comes into this. Um, but you know, what are you gonna do? I'm trying to search for Appendix Three here, trying to figure out where how to get to that because I'm like, well, that seems like okay. There's Appendix Five, Appendix Four. Appendix 3? Appendix 3. There's many mentions of... Um, alright. There's, there's a bunch of spells. Oh, like, accidentally casts ejaculate blood. Acid or poison. You can ejaculate all of these things. <laughs> Ejaculating blood. Um, oh, swollen testicles? This is for for fun, I guess. These are for humorous effect. Um, I don't understand. This is like spells. You know, this would probably work better if I knew anything about this. But uh, it's all like accidentally casts this, accidentally casts that, which I don't really understand. Random magical effects. Yeah, I need to go to the beginning of the random magical effects. Under certain conditions, random magical effects are possible. Um, oh god. Caster immediately tries to rape the target creature for 1d20 rounds and has amnesia about it. Um, sure. Caster grows an extra fully functioning eye on a random body part. Does that is that good or bad? Caster's bones become brittle. Hmm. <laughs> Caster's entire living family appears in the battle. All right, sure. Caster's arm falls off and begins attacking at random. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Target's genitals are swapped with random party <laughs> Caster's genitalia grows by 2d20% in size. So I guess that means it could grow up to 40%, one and a half. I would think most people, if they were one and a half bigger, wouldn't... That probably would be more than most people would be wanting to have, but also wouldn't... It's not like, ooh, you're not going to be able to fight anymore because uh, my huge penis is... <laughs> Uh, Caster gains a breath weapon of hydrochloric acid. Caster gains a fecal breath weapon. That's, I guess, a way for, uh, you know, somebody ate a log of shit. That would be a great, like, uh, legend of history. You know how, like, they'll be like, oh yeah, they used to do this to make people think they were crazy. Vikings would be on shrooms or something. It would be like, they would eat shit so that they're, they're both, uh... Their breath was so bad. Um, target's skin is magically peeled like a banana. Innards are exposed and it dies. Two gay ogres appear within 30 foot radius and begin to butt plug as if there is no tomorrow. <laughs> it's weird because this is like, there are hundreds of these. Let me see how many exactly. Uh, geez. We're in the thousands here. 2,000? There's exactly 2,000. 
And, you know, there's like casters ostracized by those about whom they care. <laughs> and it's like that is just in there with, you know, uh, orcs start butt plugging people. <laughs> I just I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, I guess this was a pretty, uh, pretty controversial game, which, you know, makes sense. Um, I guess there's a lot in it too about you, you know, create your character and it's like attractiveness and it's talking in the thing about how like attractiveness is important. And, you know, depending on how you're attractive, you are different things in your life are better or worse. Um, and I suppose most people are not into that, which is not totally unfair. Uh, you know, that feels to me, I guess sometimes, sometimes in games, I'm like, well, in the effort to make something seem realistic, maybe someone has done, has just replicated the worst parts of real life. And that's like, always feels like a mistake to me. It's like when, you know, we're talking about like, oh yeah, new Zelda is awesome. And it's like, well, you can get this sword, but it'll break eventually. And then you'll have to find a new one or like, well, you got to eat, you have to eat food. And if you cook the food, it's better and whatever. And all that kind of stuff for me is like, eh, not really into that. I have to eat food in my real life. And like, I have to cook food and eat it. And that sucks. I don't want to do that. I just want to, I want to break a wall and there's just a turkey leg in the wall. And now I'm good. You know what I mean? So I guess, you know, it's just, again, it brings us back around, right? It's a different kind of person. Who's like, I want, I want this, all the things of real life to be in this game. The more realistic this game is, the better. And I'm like, I don't know. I have a real life and I could choose to do dumb things in my real life or like stupid things or uh, smart things. I guess that's also an option. Um, but, you know, it'd be like if I made a game that's like starting a podcast and you have to roll and it's like, well, that roll is how many people start out listening to it because... Their friends or family, so they feel somewhat obligated. And then, yeah, how high their obligation is. They're like, because they're like, is he going to ask me about it next time I see him? Fuck, I guess I better listen to this, huh? And then, like, how much how much money are you going to spend on this? How much time every week are you going to spend on it? And, like, do all these things, and it's like, all right, now you're in this, you're doing a podcast, and here's the different things. Oh, your co-host had a scandal online. Oh, no. They accidentally said something they probably shouldn't have on Twitter. And now everybody is taking it out on you. Um, oh no, your workplace found out about your podcast and is not a fan. <laughs> you know, like, and doing all that, I'd be like, oh God, this is like, this is too close to home. I'm not enjoying it. So, uh, fuck it. Let's not do that. How about? Anyway, this brings us back around. Kadida, Q-A-D-I-D-A. A spy-filled Still Fleet Gazetteer. You can donate. You can donate as little as probably a dollar. I don't know for sure. Um, but you can make a $10 pledge if you don't want an award. Um, if you want a, a booklet of it, I think it's 12 bucks. And if you want the physical copy, it's $21. So there you go. Um, I don't know. Just do it. Why not? What? What are you doing with your money that's so great? Nothing. Of course it's nothing. I'm not doing anything with mine that's great. 
other than donating to make Kadita happen. So, you know, be like me. We'll release my uh, helpful snowman RPG soon.